What's up? Welcome in to another edition of the Full Contact Podcast. You have myself, Sheree Phillips Keaton, as always, Nick Sapina, and hopefully we can get this right for like the fifth time. But we have <laughs> our third member of the Full Contact Podcast, Brian Clay. Nick, before I go to you, I want to ask Brian how he's feeling since he never has luck getting on this podcast. Brian, how you feeling tonight? Oh man, uh, the electronics are not my friend lately. Everything's going to crap, but uh, I'm happy. I'm happy <laughs> that I can actually get on now. And it took us, it took us a couple weeks, but I'm, I'm finally here. I made it. Yeah, man, you must have had to know somebody to get here. But glad that you finally got here. Uh, good to have you. I created this platform, sir. Have some respect. Whoa. We created this platform. Yeah but, who was the, yeah, but who was the first one to send a text out about starting a podcast? Me. We. No. Technically, whoever your phone carrier is. But anyway, Ooh. let's not. Point. Come let's on. Not. <laughs> Nick, how you feeling today, my man? Uh, Sharif, I'm feeling pretty great. Um, I got to tell you a couple of things. Like I, I'm all over the place right now. So first of all, I got my second COVID vaccine shot today, so I am very excited. Um, thank you, Brian. I'm doing a little uh, a bow, but I appreciate it. Um, I'm not really feeling like the effects of it. My arm is definitely a little bit sore, but also from a sports perspective, I don't know if you guys are super into golf. I mean, golf is a little bit out of our scope of what we usually cover on this show, but I've been watching a little bit of the Masters and... I can't comment on the quality of golf, right? Like I, I don't know golf well enough to actually talk about it, but man, the, the, uh, the masters, the, the green that they use, like the, their golf course is beautiful. And if you have the opportunity to just tune into it, disregard the golf. Just look at the course and how like awesome the scenery is. Seriously, you will enjoy it. It'll calm you. Uh, definitely check it out. Well, it's supposed to. <laughs> it's supposed to be the best of the best. So I hope the golf is at it least semi entertaining. <laughs> I don't care about the golf. I'm looking at the course. It's so green. It's so beautiful. I did see there was actually a really interesting thing that happened. Uh, I forget the the golfer's name, but this guy, he. Broke his putter out of frustration. Kim. Kim. I just saw the video. Yeah, yeah, Kim. Yeah. Yeah, it was <laughs> it was awful. He broke his putter out of frustration. He was forced to putt with a, I believe it was a three wood, which is basically some variation of a, a driver. It, yeah. You know, it's one of the ones with the big head. Small, yeah, it's a, it's a smaller head than a driver, but it, I think it's still hollow on the inside. Right. No, it's, I think it's full on the inside because... It, those things used to be made out of wood. It literally just used to be a block of wood with like a metal plate in front of it. Like that. <laughs> They've updated the technology since then, obviously. But Yeah. Well, anyway, he was forced to putt with that thing. Yeah. Took him two putts. He ended up making par on that hole. Immediately tossed his ball into the water hazard out of frustration. And then he couldn't even replace his club because... That's the rule at the master. You, you're stuck with what you have in your like in your caddy bag. Yeah. So uh, he was putting with the three wood for the rest of the <laughs> for the rest of the uh, the day. 
my God. Well, well, how do you how do you not carry multiple putters with you? I don't even play on the tour, and I carry three putters with me if I ever go golfing. Seems <laughs> excessive. I'm not gonna lie. Well, I have them here, so I'm like, you know what? They're better than just laying around the house. I'll just take them with me. So if one it's putter true. sucks, I throw it back in the bag. I grab the other one. I'm like, maybe this one will work. <laughs> <laughs> well. Maybe, Brian, maybe that means you should be on the tour instead of the aforementioned golfer because you're obviously more prepared than he was. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm more likely to break my clubs out of frustration than anybody else. Hey, that that adds excitement to the game. You know, I mean, if you break your club, why not? Who, who cares? Um, but what we do care about, aside from just pretty much the grass at Augusta National, like Nick said, um, we got some more NFL draft talk for you. Last week, we talked about the quarterbacks and some of the controversial uh, storylines with that. Uh, for today, we're going to talk about the notable running backs and the notable wide receivers in this upcoming draft. Um, but before we get into that, we do have one quick hitter that we want to just go into just real fast. So, Nick, can you please start the segment off for us? Sure thing. So, Carlos Dunlap said that Russell Wilson told him that he's here to stay with Seattle Seahawks. And that was one of the driving uh, factors in Carlos Dunlap's decision to re-sign with the Seahawks. So uh, we've had all of this controversy about whether or not Russell Wilson was going to be on the move, maybe to Chicago, but Carlos Dunlap does us the favor of doing the, the inside dig. So it seems like Russell Wilson is a Seattle Seahawk for the foreseeable future. So before we get into the draft talk, I did want to ask a question of both of you. Um, Brian, I'll start with you. Obviously, there's been a lot of talk about Russell Wilson um, pretty much not wanting to play for Seattle, or at least that's what he was indicating, showing all his frustrations about, you know, not having a good offensive line, things of that nature. And then Carlos Dunlap says this. Do you think that Russell Wilson is here to stay with Seattle or this is just to calm the chatter for right now. I, I I don't think there's any question he's not moving. He's staying in Seattle. And this kind of notion to begin with was absolutely rid- ridiculous. It didn't come from him. It came from people around him. And people around him are just trying to push to get a better offensive line, which, by the way, they can't afford because of his bloated contracts. That's all I got to say. Well, just for clarity's <laughs> sake, it yeah. did come from his agent as far yeah. as his trade I didn't see anything from his agent, but all I've heard was his camp. His camp wants to do this. His camp's looking for a trade. I'm like, why don't we just hear from the guy himself? What does he want to do? And, of course, he's going to tell Carlos Dunlap that he's going to stay. I mean, what are you going to do? You're going to piss off one of your offensive linemen? You already pissed him off the first time. Defensive you know. lineman. Sorry, defensive lineman. I, there's another Dunlap in the league I keep getting him mixed up with. I think I know. You're, yeah, I think uh, King, Dunlap. King Dunlap. King Dunlap. King Dunlap. He's throwing yeah. me off. But yeah, yeah, I mean, like, what is he gonna say? Like, no, hey, Seattle, never coming back. You gonna say that to one of your teammates? <laughs> I think he is saving face, but I do think the idea of him moving is ridiculous too. He's not gonna move. Nick, what about you? Yeah, you know, I think that this is more of a he's a Seattle Seahawk, quote unquote, for now. I I don't know <laughs> that he's necessarily here for the long haul. And shocker that I disagree with Brian on this, but. I do think that Russell Wilson's frustrations were <laughs> were legitimate. <laughs> and um, I mean, shoot, there was the there was the story that 
the Bears were like this close to uh, actually trading for Russell Wilson and the Seattle Seahawks were that close to accepting the trade. And it was only because the Seattle Seahawks kind of turned around at the last second that they went in the direction of uh, that. The bears went in the direction of Andy Dalton. So I think that he is a Seattle Seahawk for now. And I think that it's only a matter of time and, you know, maybe it's not this year, maybe it's not next year, but I don't think that he's going to end his career there. And uh, yeah, I think that talks, uh, the clock's ticking. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. Um, obviously, I'm, get, I'm getting tired of this story, to be honest. I mean, I feel like it's pretty much done with now. Because really, this was about Carl Dunlap talking about him re-signing with the Seahawks, obviously, for less money than what he was supposed to make, which was $14.1 million. His deal is now for two years worth $13.6 million with eight and a half in guarantee. So I, this was really about that, but they obviously asked him about Russell Wilson. And apparently, Russell Wilson also told Chris Carson um, the running back for Seattle that he was going to stay as well. And he actually encouraged Chris Carson to stay. So if Russell Wilson ends up bailing like next year, I mean, if I'm Chris Carson, I would just give that dude a big F you, if you know what I mean. So, uh, <laughs> no, I don't know what you mean, Sharif. Uh, could you elaborate? You know, I, I don't think I got time to elaborate <laughs> on that. But, <laughs> um, but besides that, yeah, I, I'm more on Brian's side. I think Russell Wilson is staying, not because he wants to, per se, but more or less, it's just too, it costs too much money to trade Russell Wilson at this point in time. Because I think his dead money charge is like in the 30s. I think close to 40, actually. I'm not sure. But it's it's a lot of money. So I, I, I don't see it happening anytime soon, but I guess this is a story to keep our eyes on. And now we get to talk some draft talk. So first, we'll go into the running backs. Brian's bane of the NFL because he loves uh, running backs by committees. He wants like five running backs in that backfield, pay all of them one and a half million dollars. Oh, so, uh, three, three's just fine, sir. Three, three. <laughs> I, don't, anyway. I, don't, I don't need. I don't need five of them. Fair enough. So Brian, let me start with you when it comes to the running backs in his upcoming draft. Matter of fact, let's start with this. Who is the running back you like the most coming out of this draft? <laughs> Nick knows too. Nick knows. I it. do. Look at his look at look at, look and, at his face. I'm smiling because it's, it's I know that we already have differing opinions. I already know. Well, Brian, we know, but how about yeah. you let all of our listeners know? Oh, I'm going to let everybody know. It's oh, Mr. Boy. Najee Harris of Alabama, the most off the most NFL ready team in college football. My man, <laughs> hold on, I'm gonna pull up his stats real quick. I just had him. And now oh, I'm you mean him. oh, you mean Alabama, the 31st NFL or 33rd NFL team? <laughs> Listen, I, I'm confident that Alabama could probably come to Philadelphia right now and beat the hell out of the Eagles. That's how confident I am that they're that good, even with Mac Jones. You know. There's a lot of hype around Mac Jones, but I'm sure we'll get to that another time. I heard you guys get to it last week. Mac Jones? Listen. I did get to it last week. Well, Mr. Najee Harris, Mr. Touchdown himself, 26 rushing touchdowns, four receiving touchdowns. It's kind of down from his previous year, but we're talking we're talking back-to-back. Back. Uh-oh. We're talking back to – sorry, something came up in my video. 
Um, we're uh, talking back to back 1200 plus yards in the year. Um, the guy is just an animal 5.9 yards per carry in this, in the 2019, his junior year, 5.8 in his senior year. I mean, drastically increased his receiving game. He, he caught 27 in 2019. Now he caught 43, uh, that's my favorite guy. That that that's the real deal. He's a big physical runner. He's a very much like a Derrick Henry, just Derrick Henry light for right now, uh, until he starts bulking up a little bit more. But I think he'll. I think he's probably the best one to come out of this draft. Okay, Nick. What about you? Who's your favorite running back in this draft? All right. So I have to. I have to give the backstory here because it's basically a three horse race at the top. And if you've been following it for the past couple of years, it's really been two. Um, so Brian is a Najee Harris kind of guy. And me personally, I'm on the Travis Etienne train. And the reason I like Travis Etienne so much is because he sort of kind of resembles uh, Alvin Kamara light uh, in that he is an excellent receiver. He So when he was a freshman and sophomore, he was actually viewed as a net negative in the receiving game. He had uh, five receptions his freshman year, 12 receptions his sophomore year. And mind you, it's not like he wasn't playing his sophomore year. He racked up 1,600 yards as a rusher. So it was just that he was really not doing anything in the receiving game. And then he came in as a junior and he lit it up as a receiver. He added the screen game to his repertoire, he had 432 receiving yards, which is pretty impressive for a college running back. Like that doesn't really happen. And then this past year, uh, what happened was the Clemson offensive line pretty much graduated and a lot of them went to the NFL at some varying level, uh, whether they were playing backup or what have you. And his rushing efficiency dropped. He was averaging 7.8 yards per carry as a junior This year, he uh, averaged 5.4. So that's a significant drop-off. But as I mentioned, the offensive line play was not nearly as good. But he still chipped in 588 yards as a receiver. And again, we mentioned 432 yards as, as a junior was pretty impressive. 588 is ridiculous for a collegiate running back. So I like Travis Etienne. He's a legitimate burner where Najee Harris is a little bit more of a bruiser. He's bigger. Um, But the truth is, I mean, these guys are neck and neck. Like, they're both really talented. Najee Harris is a really good receiver in his own right. It's just that Travis Etienne is more my flavor. He's a little bit more of the the modern NFL back where he's a little little slight, a little thinner, but he can still handle a uh, three-down roll. So I'm personally a Travis Etienne guy. So, my favorite running back in this draft is Najee Harris, um, just because of the complete skill set. But just for the purposes of covering, you know, multiple running backs for this podcast, I have been looking at some tape and reading up about uh, Javante Williams, the running back out of North Carolina. Now, I know I've said this on previous podcasts about drafting football players from basketball schools, but in this case... Basically, what's attracted me to Javante Williams, basically, 
he's almost described as having one of the skill sets that makes Alvin Kamara so cool to watch, which is that he's always on balance. And I mean, I'm sure that's a very specific thing to point out. Obviously, he was more of the early down guy for the Tar Heels and his teammate, Michael Carter, who Brian will love to talk about later on at some point, was more of the passing game guy. But Javante Williams, I mean, we talk about, say, LeGarrette Blunt or Marshawn Lynch breaking tackles. Apparently, Javante Williams is like the college version of that, and that's because of you know his build at 5'10", 220 pounds, but he also is a premier athlete. Not like Travis Etienne, but pretty close. So only thing with Javante Williams is how is he going to fit in a three-down role because we haven't seen him do that in college, um, at least when it comes to the passing game. But those who have you know done their scouting on him looks like that he could make that three-down roll in the NFL at some point. But, yeah, that guy is really growing on me. I got to say, though, Nick, you've been on Travis Etienne from the start. So let me ask you, what makes him better than Najee Harris, at least when it comes to NFL projection? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, For me, one of the things that's really important, and this is something that we kind of touched on a little bit last week, Um, And it's something that I plan to touch on when we talk about the receivers. But early production typically correlates uh, with better success at the next level, right? So Travis Etienne overall didn't do a ton as a freshman, but he still had uh, 766 yards as a rusher. So that that wasn't a breakout in itself. But the true breakout was his sophomore year, where he had almost 1,700 yards as a rusher. Uh, and then chipped in 78 as a receiver. So the 78 as a receiver doesn't really mean much, but that does qualify as a legitimate collegiate breakout. So having that early breakout under his belt uh, is something that he has up on Najee Harris. And obviously, you know that Alabama pumps out NFL running backs. Like there was uh, Damian Harris, Josh Jacobs. I mean, all those guys were there when Najee Harris was younger. But... Um, ultimately, if Najee Harris was as great as we think he is, and I'm I'm saying that kind of uh, as a hyperbole because we do think that he is good, but he would have competed more for those touches. You know what I mean? So I give him a little bit of a knock there. Travis Etienne, it's just that he is a little bit younger. Uh, he has been improving every single year. And well, yeah, that's just kind of my take. Um, I do want to say one thing, and this is kind of more looking at this class as a whole. This is a fairly weak running back class. And I mean that even at the top, like if you try to compare the 2021 uh, running back class, to the 2020 running back class, you're overall going to be disappointed because guys like Najee Harris and Travis Etienne, even though they're more likely to be first round picks, they don't profile as well as guys like Jonathan Taylor and uh, DeAndre Swift and Cam Akers and uh, J.K. Dobbins. They just don't have that same collegiate profile and early breakout to match those guys. So even though they're likely to be first-round picks, I think that what that has to do with is that 
there are so few running backs in this class that are worth taking early. Like we literally mentioned three. And last year there were five, six. You didn't need to necessarily go up and draft one in the first round. So I think that it's just something to keep in mind. There's going to be good players, good running backs from this class, but it probably doesn't compare to 2020. So I want to pass this back to Brian um, because I did want to ask you. um, Now, Najee Harris, there has been some talk of him being a first-round pick. If if your NFL GM, doesn't matter which team, but let's say you're just evaluating the draft as a whole, where where do you think Najee Harris should go? Do you think he should go in the first round? Um, I kind of like the position everybody's putting them in. Uh, it's more of that late. It's more of that late round, first round pick. Like I've heard a lot of Pittsburgh talk, which would be interesting to see him in Pittsburgh. Um, because Pittsburgh is so pass heavy, but Big Ben's getting a little older. You know, you kind of want to help out the run game a little bit. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it's it's such a it's such a weird class because it's so top heavy with quarterbacks and wide receivers that, you know, nobody really knows where these running backs are going to end up. Like I, like I could tell you there's to me, I I know in my, in my gut, it's telling me that Najee Harris is the better of out of him and ETN, but those are the top two. I think those are the top two guys in the draft anyways. So, I mean, who knows, who knows who goes first, where, I mean, probably late first round. I would have penciled him a, a little bit earlier in the first round, but you know, a lot of people are very hesitant about some of these first round picks that they're taking now. Right. And I mean, that's the whole thing. And that's really why I wanted to get your pick your brain about that. Because like, I think Pittsburgh would be the perfect situation or the perfect draft pick rather uh, for someone like Najee Harris. When you look at, Basically, from what I pick up with the draft evaluations is that Najee Harris is probably the most complete back within like the top three or four. Um, Travis Etienne is more like I've seen people profile him like Saquon Barkley, like always going for that home run because he has the athleticism to do it. But obviously, we've seen with Saquon Barkley and, you know, various guys over the years that can lead to a lot of negative plays. And we started to see that at uh, certain points during a uh, Clemson season. So I think Najee Harris is definitely the safer pick. And I mean, if he could like develop into someone like Le'Veon Bell, for example, I know he's a little bigger than Le'Veon, but like just that skill set, obviously being able to be that bruiser running downhill and being able to, and definitely showing the ability to hold his own in a passing game. I mean, I would go with Najee Harris as the best running back in this draft. But obviously, if we're talking upside versus NFL ready, obviously if Travis Etienne catches on and is able to improve, he has a higher ceiling than Najee. But outside of those three, uh, Najee Harris, Travis Etienne, Javante Williams, um, just wanted to go a few more running backs in. Um, Nick, I know you wanted to talk about uh, Tuba Hubbard, uh, the r- running back out of Oklahoma State. So, uh, and you put it in the notes, quote, what happened to this guy, question mark. So 
why don't you uh, tell us what you wanted to talk about with Chuba? All right, sure. So I've recently found out that, and I hate to bring this back to fantasy, but a lot of what I look up does relate to it. Um, there, There is actually like fantasy football for college, which is kind of weird. And there's a thing called C2C or Campus to Canton. And basically what happens there is uh, you have a college fantasy football team and you have a real life fantasy football team or NFL fantasy football team. And anyway, basically, I had been pretty much all about Travis Etienne from the start. And when I was looking him up, I found out about this guy named Chuba Hubbard. And Chuba Hubbard was always the consensus number one running back for college. And I was like, huh, that's kind of weird. What is it about Chuba Hubbard that makes him so special? And what I found out was this guy was pumping out like 2,000 yard rushing seasons like it was nothing. And he had a really weird year this past year where he originally opted out and then decided to play. And he was kind of in the coach's doghouse and his efficiency efficiency as a runner suffered. And he wasn't nearly as dynamic as he was in the years prior. And that's caused him to fall down pretty much all the draft boards. He would have been in the top four running backs for this class, hands down. And what he is, is a little bit like Travis Etienne in that he's a burner. He's really athletic. Uh, He was a threat to take any play to the house. And then Sharif, uh, last week when we talked about quarterbacks, we mentioned how athletic testing and pro days and combines eh, doesn't always mean something unless you have a result that doesn't align with what you should believe, right? So everybody went into the pro day uh, for Chuba Hubbard thinking, okay, this guy is a burner. He is fast. And then he ran a really, really slow 40 time. So when everybody has kind of put those things together, Chuba Hubbard has been falling in draft boards to the point where he could be like a fourth or fifth round pick. And it wouldn't shock me. And that would obviously put him more in the reserve range for a team. He wouldn't be drafted as a starter. But I do think that if you go uh, more off of his profile and what, what he did as a runner in the years prior to this one, he has a chance to be a sleeper. Yeah, I I think it's it is unfortunate for someone like Chuba Hubbard because, like you said, um, there was a point where he opted out of the season because of the COVID nineteen pandemic, but then he decided to come back and he only hurt his stock. So right. now I think he can be had as a value because I think what we saw in twenty nineteen is probably more of what he can be as long as he's healthy. And the only thing is, obviously, him dealing with injuries hampered how his this past season went. But also, we still saw that he's having a little bit of fumbleitis, as Brian would like to coin it. So hopefully we can see him rectify that in the NFL. I did want to get to one of Brian's guys before we shift over to the wide receivers. Brian, and this is more like, I know this is more like fancy football, when you talk mm-hmm. about uh, the other North Carolina running back, uh, Michael Carter. But I just wanted to pick your brain about it and let us all know the expertise that's going through your mind. What is it about Michael Carter out of North Carolina that intrigues you? Um, I don't know if you guys subscribe to this kind of thinking. Uh, maybe it's just me. 
I take a lot into account of uh, conferences playing. I think the conferences that the guys play in are very, very important. Um, a lot of guys can put up the big yards, like like your buddy Chuba Hubbard over there. Like he could do that, but he played in the Big Twelve, and the Big Twelve, as we all kind of know, is not exactly known for its stout defenses. So where I value guys is where I believe the defenses are more NFL ready in terms of kind of the schemes that they see, the the overall athletes that they I guess they look at. And for me, um, Michael Carter coming out of the Big Ten, which I consider to be the second best conference in the in the country behind the SEC, but the SEC is so much far and away than better than anything else. That I like him most than better than most guys because he does put up the numbers that you know at a consistent level. Um, even though he's sharing time with you know, you know he's got Javante Williams now riding his coattails like that, so now he's got to kind of go back and forth with this, but he still put up more more numbers. Is it discouraging to see that he's kind of splitting time with a with a junior? Like obviously, but this is like not any other junior. This is a guy who's going to be a really good pickup for an NFL team. So I'm not too really discouraged by that. But I'm a huge I'm a huge fan of Michael Carter. And if I had more picks in our fantasy draft, I'd probably would take him. But <laughs> I got something better out of it. But I mean, and just for everyone. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Brian. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, just for anyone who's curious, uh, me and Nick have talked about this multiple times on our fantasy football podcast. We swear we're bringing it back. We're just taking a break. But um, obviously, we're in a dynasty league that we started uh, last season. And, you know, Brian obviously was talking on Michael Carter, you know, for good reason. Now, I did have I just have one question because. From what I'm able to gather, he pretty much profiles as a third down guy. Nick, do you think Michael Carter could develop into an every down kind of guy? Uh, I think that's a little bit of a lofty goal. I don't think that he could be a true every down back, but I do think that he could have something like, and I don't mean that he would play like him, but something like a um, an Alvin Kamara role where maybe he gets 10 carries and five or six targets or something like that. But I don't see him ever being the kind of workhorse back that commands 20 carries and eight targets in a game or anything like that. Brian, what about you? Do you think, you think Michael Carter could one day become a bell cow kind of guy? No, no, he's too short. He's too small. And I hate, and I hate making that comparison because as a short and small person myself, um, (laughs) I hate that comparison, but I mean, we've seen it time and time again. I mean, are you going to trust somebody like Boston Scott, who's 5'6", or Darren Sproles, who I believe was 5'7", in heels or something like that? Like, these aren't going to be guys. These aren't going to be guys who are going to be carrying the ball multiple times, like you said. Like, am I going to turn around and hand it off to him like 20, 25 times a game? Like, no. He's going to be more of a pass catcher. He's going to be more of a uh, uh, uh great hockey term a spark plug really that's what he's gonna be he's gonna oh. be a little bit more of a uh, electric <laughs> kind of guy i love the, i love the a saying g- a gym rat <laughs> yeah, yeah I, was I was waiting for that one sure he's gonna be he's gonna 
I mean, I would like to see him become a Darren Sproles because obviously Darren Sproles had a very good career, but Darren Sproles was, I mean, we've seen him be the, the number one running back at the Eagles and he is knee almost snapped in half. So to be fair, he was also just old at that point, but I know, yeah, <laughs> I know, man, but you know, I love, but, you know, a six, two, six, three defensive lineman coming down on your five, eight running back. I, I don't like, I don't like my chances <laughs> if I'm the running back. <laughs> Well, um, if there's one thing I, I get out of that, I love me some Darren Sproles. So. <laughs> Can I make one final note? Because it's something that we there's something that Brian addressed, but I wanted to give my thoughts on it too. Sure, it'll cost you 25 cents, but go ahead. Well, luckily I have two quarters it. sitting right here, so if I go a little over time, I can I can give you both of them. Street, <laughs> I do wholeheartedly expect to see two running backs go in the first round, and probably in that late range. And I think that uh, for teams, I think that Najee Harris is more likely teams running back one, and I think that Pittsburgh has been in contact with him, and I think that he is their primary target in the first round. I think that Travis Etienne, though, I think that he could go very shortly after maybe landing with the Jets or the Dolphins. Interesting. So I think that's enough running back talk, at least for now. Obviously, we'll go deeper into all of these positions as time goes on. We still have about three to four weeks before the draft, I think, is on April 29th. So we still got some time, ladies and gentlemen, but got to shift over to the wide receivers. So... This wide receiver class in general, at least at the top, has been billed to be similar to the 2020 class where you could potentially get one, maybe two transcendent guys at the top. So, Brian, I started with you at the running back segment. I'll start with Nick on this one. Nick, who is the best receiver in this draft class? All right. It's Jamar Chase. Hands down. I'm not going to keep anybody waiting. Um, and I know that that kind of feels a little bit against the grain to some degree right now because Devonta Smith just won the Heisman, man. He just w- he just put up one of the most prolific seasons that we've seen at wide receiver ever, maybe the most prolific season. And he did it for uh, Alabama, as Brian said, which is uh, in one of the best conferences in college football. So um, why would I go Jamar Chase? Uh, when he didn't even play this past year, well, it kind of comes down to what you value when you're evaluating prospects, right? Like there's basically two uh, philosophies, two thought processes that people subscribe to. And one is analytics and one is film. And I don't claim to be one or the other. I'll tell you this. I don't watch film. I can't, I know that I'm not smart enough to actually watch it and know what I'm looking at. So I follow a lot of people who do because I know that that's not my strength. So um, the film people love uh, Devonta Smith and rightfully so, but analytically there are many hits to Devonta Smith's profile. And one of them would be breakout age. And he didn't have a true breakout until he was a junior because I mean, for, for better or worse, he was playing behind guys like, uh, Henry Ruggs and Jerry Judy. And the thought process is, is even if uh, those are really good players, it makes sense that he was playing behind them. He's the same age as those guys, right? So 
if he was as good as advertised, if he was as good as we were made to think, he probably would have outcompeted those guys. He probably would have been in the NFL already. So what it led to is him dominating the SEC when he's older. And is he dominating because he's just older and more experienced and bigger and stronger? Or is he actually just better? So that's pretty much what the knock is on Devonta Smith. The other thing is that he's very light. Um, he didn't actually even weigh for his pro day or anything. He didn't test. He just said, guys, I'm Smart. 170 pounds. Smart man. Yeah. And I mean, if he's just telling us, guys, I'm 170 pounds and not weighing, I mean, there's a good chance that he's actually like 165 or something. And we can't actually knock that, but that's light for his height. And uh, there's only a few receivers in the NFL who have been successful with a BMI like he's going to have, which I think is likely 23.5. So he's very light. It doesn't mean that he can't be successful. It just means that the sample size is so small that we don't know for sure. So that's that's right. my take on – oh, sorry, Sharif. No, I was saying it was right. I was I was following. Okay. So that's my take on Devonta Smith. Now, Jamar Chase, I mean, shoot. The dude had everything that we're looking for. Like everything that I just knocked on Devonta Smith, Jamar Chase checked off. He had the early breakout as a true sophomore. He had uh, like a BMI that exceeds the threshold that you're looking at. Like the dude is built. Um, uh, I think I mentioned this last week when we were talking about the quarterbacks and once we got into some of the other positions, but Jamar Chase was expected to run a fairly slow 40 time. And like we said, 40 time is, eh, doesn't necessarily mean everything. He was expected to run like a four five. He ran a four, three, eight unofficial. And then it was like, it was looked at and officially his time went down to four, three, four. And all of this stuff, his, his athleticism, uh, with athletic testing, his production profile, it's just off the charts. And it's it's really up there as far as prospects go with guys like Amari Cooper, who was a tremendous receiving prospect, and even Julio Jones. He's really right there. So before I give it to Brian, I just wanted to give my take because I feel like one of the biggest storylines in this draft is Who's the better wide receiver, Jamar Chase or Devontae Smith? I mean, I know we're eventually going to talk about, you know, guys like Jalen Waddle, Rashad Bateman, you know, the guys coming after them. But the, the way I look at it is like Devontae Smith, you know, he obviously had a good enough season to win the Heisman as a wide receiver, which in college is pretty rare. Because normally it goes to a quarterback or even I've seen it usually like a running back. Um, not that wide receivers can't win Heisman is just not nearly as prevalent. So he obviously had a much good, a really good year. And when I look at Devontae Smith, I mean, he just profiles like ironically similar to Jerry Judy, just that route running God. You know what I mean? Just obviously Jerry Judy didn't have – the weight issues or the weight concerns that Devontae Smith has. But Devontae Smith, I mean, as long as he can get open, and we've seen guys play at this size, like I've seen, you know, like body comps to like Marvin Harrison, you know, skinny receivers, which, I mean, you know, all you really have you really they do exist. Right. Now, obviously, the only thing is Marvin Harrison is probably the best, the best 
outcome for someone like Devontae Smith. But the issue is we just haven't seen many small receivers dominate. And if you're going to draft Devontae Smith, you know, in the top 10, like he's pretty much projected to go or like bleeding into the top 15, he has to be one of those guys. But the problem is most skinny receivers we see, they're just primarily deep threats like, you know, Sean Jackson, uh, say Paul, you know, like they're just small guys, but you just run. Now, the only thing with Jamar Chase is, at least from what I gather, is that his best skill is making contested catches. The only thing is, I would have liked to have seen Jamar Chase play without Joe Burrow. Obviously, you know, many guys opted out of the 2020 season because of COVID-19. So not holding that against Jamar is just, I wonder if Jamar Chase, I just wanted to see if he had that chemistry just with Joe Burrow. And maybe if he's with any other quarterback, he can't showcase that contested catchability and that athleticism. But either way, I think it's neck neck and neck. And personally, I would take Jamar Chase because there's less concerns with him. But I think Devontae Smith will be, he should be a great receiving NFL. Brian, see if you can break the tie or possibly present a third guy. Who is the best receiver in this draft to you? Uh, it's uh, it's Jamar Chase. Um, I'm not. <laughs> three for three. Um, yeah. I mean. <laughs> My my one concern is, and uh, I think I've addressed this before, uh, in different in different subjects, but it all remains the same. Um, the guy was out of football for a year. I'm a little I'm a little concerned about him jumping back into it. I'm sure he's in great shape as always, and I'm sure that he's super healthy. If there was any nagging injuries, they're they're long and forgotten by now. Um. The issue I'm going to have here is uh, where Devontae Smith kind of falls in. I don't really know what to think of Devontae Smith because the guy is obviously prolific. He had a great year. But, I mean, how many guys do we see have great years, win the Heisman, and then go on to the NFL and kind of just can't really find their footing in that regard? Um, right. You know, I think there's a number of wide receivers that we may be overlooking as well, but I still think Jamar Chase is still the top wide receiver. I don't think, I think most of us usually have a good idea about this one. Um, I mean, we, uh, uh <laughs> I mean, there's no real concerns. I mean, the guy was a jute was a sophomore and he put up un- unruly numbers really. Just absolutely insane. So I trust that he'll be back in shape. My, that'll be my one concern. Um, You know, I'm pissed that the Eagles traded out of the sixth pick to even try to get him. But, you know, after a year being here, he probably wouldn't want to play here anyways. But uh, – <laughs> Man, take it easy. <laughs> Damn. I no, mean, no, it'll be – it'll be – it will he be does. interesting to see because he was part of that – Probably the best, probably the best offense in college football that's ever been. Um, I would put that LSU team over what we just saw with Alabama. Everybody wanted to talk about how good Alabama's offense was, but like 
Did you see LSU's offense the year before? They were on a, another atmosphere than some of these guys. They were playing a whole different game. So I w- I'm really interested to see what happens. Like, let's say he falls into a situation where he has to be the number one guy right away. Like, it's almost guaranteed that he'll be like that. Um, and he pl- and he ends up with a quarterback that isn't as prolific as college Joe Burrow was. So it'll be fun to see. I think there's a couple of names that we're going to keep overlooking here. And, and you know, somebody's going to f- – Somebody's gonna fall low, and somebody's gonna scoop them up, and it's gonna be like it's gonna be like finding that twenty dollar bill in your pocket. <laughs> so, do, you, do you have ask. a guy? I do have a guy. <laughs> well, Miss, yeah. Oh, who, who's the guy you wanted to bring up, Brian? Well, if he is, well, he is draft eligible this year, but Mister Elijah Moore. Ooh, I like that. Okay. I think Elijah Moore. I'm on. I'm on CBS's. Um, they're ranking their draft. Their draft uh, prospects right now. And Elijah Moore, he's he's a little bit of an undersized wide receiver. I know. I I gave my griefs about undersized players sometimes, but I don't know. I mean, I I like the conference. He's from Ole Miss. He comes from you know the. He comes from the the DK Metcalf. Wide receiving tree there, even though he didn't really own the wide receiving tree, but he kind of did. Don't forget about AJ Brown. That's your guy. I know. I was getting there. Yeah, the AJ Brown kind of roots are still there, but obviously those are big physical wide receivers. But I mean, I, I like I like kind of like his direction and where where he may end up. They're putting him at number forty one draft. Uh, prospect, so that puts him right around middle of the second round. If you, I don't know if they're counting linemen. I didn't really take a good look, but you know, I I like his chances there. Yeah, um, just to that point, there's actually two mores in this class. One is Elijah. One is Rondale. And uh, as it turns out, they're both undersized. Rondale is actually literally five foot seven. So he is my height. Um, he is an athletic freak, but uh, Elijah Moore is incredibly quick. Um, he has that same kind of collegiate profile. Like you were saying with DK Metcalf and AJ Brown. Um, he's a guy I like a lot in the second round. Yeah. I think with Elijah Moore, um, basically, I mean, from what I was able to gather from various sources that he projects to be like a slot, a high end slot receiver. Now, the only thing is, and this has been, you know, a part of, you know, draft debates over time is how high should you draft someone that projects to be a slot receiver? Now we've obviously seen that just because someone plays in the slot in college, doesn't mean that they can't play that in the NFL, you know, perfect example, Justin Jefferson, because he went to Minnesota and, play the other outside wide receiver role to Adam Thielen and he was out there looking anything but a slot receiver. So Elijah Moore doesn't profile that way because obviously, as you both pointed out, he is small. So, but for what I could tell, he's definitely more polished and has more to give right away than someone like Rondell Moore, who I'll be honest, projects like a gadget guy who could eventually become 
a full-blown, you know, skilled wide receiver. But as of now, would be a gadget guy. Um, just for some fun, I did wanted to ask you guys, uh, since both of you are Eagles fans, and this has been in several mocks, so this isn't just me. Should the Eagles take Jalen Waddle, who will we can talk about right after this, but I just wanted to know: should the Eagles take Jalen Waddle with the number twelve overall pick? No, Brian, I'll start with you first. Oh. <laughs> no, <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I don't. I don't think they should. I think they should pick a quarterback. I, I, I corner, cornerback. Like, don't worry. Oh, I didn't corner. say quarterback. Okay. Corner back uh, with a C. Um, okay. They need they need youth in in their in their backfield. They just lost Jalen Mills to the Patriots, which is going to hurt, you know. And and um, they, I mean, Rodney McLeod, as good as he is, he's he's getting older by the day, you know. So it's not great. Um, so I would like to see them pick up a young. Uh, a young cornerback, maybe somewhere along the lines of maybe not as injury prone, but hopefully somebody as talented as uh, uh, Sidney Jones, something like that. I liked Sidney Jones a lot when he was here. He didn't play. He, I mean, he didn't play up to his expectations, but he was also injured a ton. So I, I, I'd like to see a high-end cornerback end up on the Eagles because – I mean, it doesn't matter if he plays well or not. We're just going to be bad this year. So, <laughs> <laughs> It's definitely a rebuilding year. Nick, what about you? Do you think the Eagles should take Jalen Waddle? No, uh, I'm definitely with Brian on that one. It, as much as it hurts <clears throat> me to agree with Mr. Clegg over here. Um, no, I'm, I'm definitely in agreement, though, because Jalen Waddle, I mean, we've seen how the Eagles like their undersized receivers. We already have one. We already have Jalen Rager. He's not a legitimate alpha big bodied receiver. I don't want to mess around with a receiving core that is all small. Like that just doesn't feel conducive to me, especially to a quarterback who did have some accuracy issues last year. Like obviously we want to build Jalen hurts up and having a bunch of five ten, five eleven receivers just doesn't seem like the best idea to me. And when you draft someone like Jalen Waddle or even Rondale Moore, um, because Rondale Moore is not a slot receiver per se. He is an outright an outside receiver. You're hoping that these guys become something like Tyreek Hill, something of a, a deep threat, uh, take the top off of defense. But the truth is, your chances of finding a Tyreek Hill at the NFL level just aren't that good. So it's not a risk that I'm willing to take in the first round. Um, I'm I'm with Brian in that I want a defensive piece, but I'm primarily looking at linebacker. I'm thinking Micah Parsons. Uh, if we do go the direction of corner, yeah, I see Brian shaking his head over there. Micah Parsons is a really State good guy. linebacker. And, and he's a Penn State guy. Brian loves those dudes. Yeah, huge yeah. Penn State guy. <laughs> um, Philadelphia over the years, and this has something to do with Jim Schwartz's scheme, has not prioritized linebackers. We haven't had a guy to fill the middle of the field in so long. So anytime a running back did get to the second level, it was like there was a sieve. There was nothing there to stop the guy. There was never a linebacker in coverage that could that could cover anybody. We were a black hole there. So uh, it would be nice to have that kind of presence in Philadelphia. If we do go in the direction of corner, like Brian was saying, 
there's a good chance that Patrick Sertain is not there, and he's pretty much the consensus cornerback one. But there's another really good one, I believe, who played for... You know, I'm drawing a blank on the team, but J.C. Horn uh, really rivals Patrick South Sertain. Carolina. Okay. Uh, he, he was another really, really good prospect, and I think that he could be in contention for the cornerback one uh, position. Okay. And just so we're clear, Jalen Waddle before, and this will probably be it before we go, obviously, as I said earlier, we'll continue with some of these positions as we go through the weeks leading up to the draft. But now I had the impression before I – began deep diving into like Jalen Waddle's like draft evaluation that he was pretty much just a speed guy because he was compared to like Henry Ruggs and guys of that nature. But apparently Waddle has the athleticism that he doesn't have to just run like go routes or nine routes as they call them. Um, He could pretty much run anything in the route tree. At least that's what I get from. But Nick, do you think, Jalen Waddle could eventually be a guy who's more than just a deep threat. Oh, he definitely could, but I feel like the odds are against him to become that. You know what I mean? Like he doesn't necessarily have the same size to dominate through the middle. Like he can run the routes and he is athletic. Like we've mentioned, um, you know, something that kind of gets lost in the lost in the sauce, if you will, (laughs) in the Alabama receiving core is that, uh, Jalen Waddle was outproducing Devonta Smith when he was healthy this year. He was actually the number one wide receiver there for Alabama. So Jalen Waddle is not a bad player, but it's it's tougher to project somebody who is small because at the next level the corners are more physical. The linebackers can hang with you a little bit more. So um, overall, he can be more than a deep threat at his ceiling, like he could be somebody who maybe has an Odell Beckham like kind of career where he can take a, a, um, a slant and run it across the middle and take it 75 yards for a touchdown. We saw Odell Beckham do that all the time, but that's kind of at the upper end of his spectrum, like at the range of his outcomes. And it's not something that I'm necessarily expecting. Brian, last thing before we go, and just because I know you, you like your uh, hot takes. <laughs> is Jalen Waddle better than Devontae Smith? No. This has been one of the things that's been running around that Jalen Waddle might actually be better than Devontae Smith, but you say no. No, I uh, no, I, I I can't tell you exactly what it is about Devontae Smith, but. I, I just get a feeling that he is better. I mean, we've seen guys have breakout years where they get like, if we're talking about college, you know, they get a couple hundred yards, they get 700 yards, and then all of a sudden they explode for like 1,500 plus. Um, to lead the NF to the NFL to lead <laughs> to lead the SEC in the catches and the yards and do it in the kind of just this absurd gap that he had 
I don't I don't think that's nothing to be like, oh, it's just a breakout. It's just a whatever. See, it's a breakout season. You know, it happens all the time. I think there is something there for Devontae Smith. Um, he ends he may end up being another scheme guy. Um, but I believe that his future is his ceiling is higher than Mr. Waddle's ceiling is. Um, Mr. Waddle, I'm afraid, is going to also fit into a box where he ends up being like a scheme guy. And uh, I don't know. They're they're both not transcendent talents. Like I like I th- like some people have said about Devontae Smith. And again, like his his accomplishments are nothing to sneeze at. It's just, I just I don't know. It's it's an interest. It's going to be an interesting fit, no matter where he goes. Guys, we have to do this again, Brian. Hopefully, you can join <laughs> us next week. I mean, it looks like we've figured out these technical issues. We just have to combine Zencaster yeah. with Zoom, just like the old days. Uh, but yeah, definitely have to do this again. Definitely will do this again, and we'll talk about what positions we want to cover next week but that does it for now because i got things to do (laughs) Uh, but before we go brian is there anything you want to say before we go what could be more important than doing the podcast (laughs) Uh, nothing a certain matter with the bathroom and you know you boys got to make it there soon all right so i'll i'll (laughs) I'll put this statement out there, and I can't believe I said it. Given how big of a hockey fan I actually am, I actually said I actually said to somebody else, I won't mention any names, that I am actually more excited to watch the Phillies play, even though they just lost tonight, than the Flyers. I think what the Flyers are doing what? is absolutely, absolutely atrocious. They play zero defense. Their their goalies are their goalies. I mean, everybody wants to play in defense, but it's the goalies' fault too. And I will continue to rant about that on Twitter because I see Shreve is squirming a little bit. <laughs> well, that's because of the bathroom situation. Oh, yeah. Nick, what about, Nick what about you? <laughs> uh, no, you know, I think that I did my talking throughout the podcast. So I'm going to take it <laughs> easy on you there, Sharif. Uh, but for everybody listening at home, just follow us on all of our social media accounts at Full Contact Pod. We would definitely appreciate that. All right. And for me, um, it's definitely cool to get into all this draft talk. Um, before we started doing this podcast, I mean, I never really went past like the first round. Cause after that, I mean, even when you watch like the draft, like telecast on like ESPN, <laughs> after the first round, it just seems like everybody's like, all right, with the 35th pick, they take this guy. What do you think about this guy? Well, let's do this 30 second highlight video and then talk about the next guy. <laughs> I'm like, damn. But when the first guy was taken, we did five minutes on this dude. So. <laughs> It's definitely interesting yeah. to get into all this draft talk. Listen, it's all um, fun and games until the Eagles pick Jalen Hurts in the second round. True. <laughs> Guys, just like we did last year, we got to do some kind of live uh, draft thing where we can just kind of react to what's happening. Definitely. Yeah, I'm in for that. And definitely. that's a precursor for y'all. So y'all keep listening to us until the draft because we will have something special for you at that time. For Brian Clegg, always a pleasure. Nick, of course, always a pleasure. Myself, we'll see you guys next week. Stay tuned.